I, I think for anyone who's for anyone who's listening, I'd love to pub that if you're interested in chatting, one of the things that I love the most is helping folks who are building, you know, new data products who are thinking about the, the data paradigm in a completely different way. So I mean, honestly, an open shout to all of your listeners is if you're building something interesting, if there's something that we can chat about where you have an idea, you know, we, we love meeting entrepreneurs that are building interesting mm-hmm. things so we can onboard their products at Peloton. I love, you know, just geeking out over different ideas. And so if you're, you know, out there and listening and you're like, oh, I have, I'm working on something, or I think that this paradigm that we're, we use in the data world is wrong and that we should you know, change it to be something else. Those types of people are always like the most interesting to talk to. So feel free to like, you know, hit me up. Welcome to Data Science Mixer, a podcast featuring top experts in lively and informative conversations that will change the way you do data science. I'm Susan Curry Civic, Senior Data Science Journalist for the Alteryx community. You just heard from Ibi Syed, who's the lead data scientist at Peloton and our guest today. Ibi has had a fast-paced career in data science, especially in recent months with Peloton's rapid global growth and the demands that's placed on their data science teams. Ibi's experiences are impressive and exciting, and it's awesome to hear about all the ways he's made data science and analytics more accessible to others at Peloton and beyond. As you can tell from what you just heard, he's generous with his knowledge and time and truly passionate about the field. Let's get right into this great conversation. Well, Ibi, thank you so much for joining us today on Data Science Mixer. I'm really excited to have you here and hear about all of the work that you've done in data science and now at Peloton. So I would love to hear a little bit about how you got into data science and how you ended up arriving at Peloton doing the work you do today. Sure. It's a bit of a windy story. Uh, <laughs> I I joined Peloton, I, I guess I, I joined Peloton pretty early from a data science perspective. I was one of the first data people there. But I got started with my journey probably in college. So I was a junior in college, and a couple of friends, a couple of friends of mine had started a company, and and I ended up joining as as like a like a late co-founder. We were experimenting with sort of a couple of products that we were building, but the way that we made money was by acting sort of like a software consultancy. We'd take you know companies or individuals that wanted work done, do some of that design work with them, and then manage an engineering team to like do that. So effectively, like very close to like a design firm of like a development shop. Or some of them were data related, some of them weren't data related. But as as you can tell from my resume, I definitely don't work there anymore. I'm not a not, not a part of a startup. And so that startup didn't actually end up lasting. You know, we ended up closing shop midway through about a year, a year and a bit later. Pretty unfortunate. But one of the projects that I was working on at the time was data science related, specifically in NLP space. And the if, if you ever get a chance to meet him, David Cancel, he's the CEO of Drift out, out in Boston. Uh, I got a I got a chance to talked to him and he was really, really interested in that project. And he's like, hey, why don't you come on board to Drift and and help us sort of like develop this? And so my senior year, I, I had the, you know, the company had company had shuttered. We had a little bit of debt we had to pay off. And so David Cancel, thank, thanks to him, he gave me uh, the chance to sort of build out some of the data stack and some of the NLP stack over at Drift. And, you know, I worked with uh, with a sub team that they had there that, that was out of the uh, MIT Innovation Lab. Um, they were working on some sort of AI. Started got started there. That was where I, I, you know, got to got to talk to Graham Stanton, who was one of the founders of Peloton. And they were starting a data science team. And 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 sort of I met him and we talked about what we were working on at Drift, what 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 some of the interesting problems were at Peloton. And he was like, hey, like why do you come in for an interview? Uh, flew down or trained down from Boston to New York. Oh, well. <laughs> met met some of the team there, and they were working on a lot of really really interesting things around you know using data science to 
promote acquisition, to promote retention, making sure that, you know, onboarding, how we onboarded customers was was as optimized as possible. They had a great customer experience, trying to develop a lot of products internally around using data to make decisions. And yeah, I joined, you know, two, two and a half years ago and, and got to build out a lot of like the first data stack, you know, SQL transformations, the BI layer, got to build out machine learning capabilities on the operations side. We've gotten to build out sort of auto ML and research capabilities, which has been super, super fun. I absolutely love, love Peloton. Awesome. That sounds great. It's, I, I love how every journey that we hear from our guests is always a little bit windy in some interesting and fun way. So <laughs> you're in good company there. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were one of the, the first people coming on board to be more dedicated to data science specifically at Peloton. What was that experience like? And maybe out of that, do you have any advice for people who end up in a, a similar situation potentially? Yeah. Well, so so hindsight is obviously always twenty twenty. Um, <laughs> but in, but in retrospect, I think the biggest advice slash the biggest learning that I got is if you're interested in data, and this is just data. This is not sort of like this. I don't think this can be expanded to tech as a whole. But if you're interested in data, um, being a part of building or rebuilding a young company's data stack is, in my opinion, one of the most important things that you can do. In terms of just the sorts of tech that we had to work with, it involved sort of like when we were going public, the KPI uh, generation and how we were going to like, you know, develop levers around how KPIs were moving, building ETL and streaming pipelines to ingest data from different services, writing sort of like scheme architecture and designing how data was going to look for the end consumer, i.e. internal data analysts, internal data scientists. Um, what else? Uh, creating a flexible, like sort of like BI layer. We use Looker for people to have easy access to data. And then sort of a building a machine learning stack for operations on top of sort of the data warehouse was uh, was a super, super fun part. We're, we're working on, you know, auto ML, making sure that you sort of dem- democratize access to data for everyone at the company, regardless of the languages that they write in, regardless of sort of like how familiar they are with data. The best data product, in my opinion, is when you're able to ask a question, have sort of, you know, a, a decent understanding of how data should look. And then you can go to a platform that will help you, no matter what your background is in data, help you answer that question. Or if it's a really hard question, help connect you to somebody who can. And and that's sort of our sort of data mission at Peloton. Nice. And so it sounds like a whole lot for somebody who wasn't new to data science, but new to the company to be taking on to do all of the, the tasks that you've just described. Is Was that overwhelming at times? Was it just intellectually exciting and professionally exciting? I think I think the line between professionally exciting and uh, <laughs> overwhelming is who who the company is surrounded with, right? So I think it's entirely dependent on the type of people that you work with. And the best part about Peloton is is just how supportive the culture is there. I think it's very much we 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 try to have a baseline of hiring really really smart and talented people. And then instilling a lot of trust in them. I think the best part about, again, going back to my previous example, um, my advice for young people that are looking to get into this space is join a company that's that doesn't necessarily have like a training regiment, right? You're not going through mm. sort of like three weeks or four weeks or five weeks of data science onboarding, but rather you have a great manager, a great sort of set of people that you work with that are willing to sort of give you the keys to a part of the business that's really important and say, hey, we have a lot of stuff going on. Here's something that you can work on. Here's something that you can really approve yourself in. And getting that trust handed to you was really beneficial for me. And I think it makes it so you're at the very beginning of your career set up for success and you're set up to build something really, really amazing. I think like if I look at where our stack was two and a half, two and a half, three years ago and where it is today, 
we've gotten the chance to build so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be really exciting to see that entire evolution from the ground up. So Peloton, of course, folks know the name. It's a household name at this point. So over the last year, there's been you know massive growth, especially during the pandemic and with a lot of global growth. So what has that experience been like as you've been working on data science projects at the company? Yeah, um, the biggest one was just the the rapid the rapid increase of questions that we got. Right, so when when the pandemic hit, our sort of entire worldview had changed. Like demand was going through the roof. Uh, I mean, we still still have really really high demand, but back then we just weren't set up to scale nearly nearly as quickly. And so it was a lot of questions around. All right, so have we expanded our total addressable market? Right, like who. Who else is buying Peloton? Might maybe that wasn't buying it before. Should we making be making considerations on safety? Should we may, be making considerations mm-hmm. on all of these sorts of like really, really disparate questions that arise when your business sort of takes a turn overnight and becomes this becomes this? It was always popular, but but something just even bigger than anything that we could have imagined. Nobody predicted the pandemic, least of all us. And and right. and some of the some of the some of the tailwinds that we got from it were where there was a lot of interesting questions that came up. So the biggest thing that we had to do was we had to scale our team incredibly quickly. So at the beginning of the pandemic, right, it was right after where we were about five and we're almost, we're almost to 50 now. Um, wow. So, so <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, huge. There's a lot of questions around, you know, supply chain optimization, under, understanding like demographic shifts. And we had just launched uh, midway through the pandemic. We, we launched our new product, our bike plus, uh, and trying to, trying to figure out sort of, Hey, like what, where do we put this? Where do we place in the in the in the market? What type of customer is really going to love the bike plus over over our over our sort of standard bike offering? Is it people who are already part of the Peloton ecosystem? Is it people who you know are interested in 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 cycling more than the 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 customer that we had before? Those sorts of questions, I think, they came up a lot around when we launched the bike plus. We wanted to make sure that you know it's the resounding success that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, hiring. Hiring is definitely the biggest one. We grew every aspect of our business. And so all of the stakeholders that we have, the way that we've set up our data team is it's relatively centralized with, there's a lot of analysts and other data scientists that sit on other teams, but we're by far and away this is the largest data org. And the number of stakeholders that we had just grew, you know, by, by, by about three or four X overnight. And so we had to, we had to scale our team uh, to make sure that all the questions that everyone was coming to us, all the new questions that we were staffed to be able to handle those. Yeah, definitely a challenge to get enough people on board to take care of all of that for sure. Interesting. So now I have to ask, since you just mentioned the products, are you a cyclist or runner or are you? I'm a cyclist. I'm okay, a, cool. I, yeah, I am. I, I definitely probably, I, I definitely should do it more than I do. Um, <laughs> I think we all have that with working out. <laughs> yeah, I think with working out, I try to work out a couple times a week. It's almost always an Alex Toussaint ride or oh, yeah. a <laughs> Emma. Uh, I, I love just, I, I love trying new instructors, especially as you know, we've, we've, we've brought on a lot of new yeah. instructors over the course of the last couple months. It's always super fun. But yeah, I am, I am not a runner. I wish I was a runner. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know. I just, I never, never got, never got into it, but I love the bike. I love the bike. I got one for my family. I have one myself Sweet. and it's a really good way of a lot of my friends have it now too. And so, mm-hmm. you know, competing with each other, um, making sure that, you know, <laughs> if we have a ride that we absolutely love, like we'll have, we'll have a text chain where it's like, Hey, like this is, this oh, is, this cool. is a ride that we really, our teams too, actually internally at Peloton. We, we love, we have a team ride that we do uh, every Friday. Wow. Um, which is super fun. My coworkers are just so much more in shape than I am. It's hilarious. 
so hilarious. Like, I'll get on, I'll be like, oh, I'm like, I'm doing well. I'm doing well for myself. I'm doing my own PR. And then it's just like, I'm the bottom of the pack. Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. It's, it's really funny. That's cool. Now, I love the idea that all of your, your friends' data and your family's data and your team's data and everything, it's all wrapped up in your work too. That's kind of cool in itself. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely definitely privatize that sort of stuff. So I can't I can't tell who's who. Oh, for sure. But yeah, yeah. But yeah. Awesome. So I'd love to hear maybe about one or two data science projects that you've done at Peloton that you're maybe especially excited about or proud of uh, that you can share publicly. Yeah, sure. I think the two most most interesting ones would be would be the first the first would be like furthering sort of our auto ML capabilities. So going back to what I said before, we want to really make sure that we democratize access to data and democratize, you know, building projects on top of data. And one of those things we believe is like sort of like operations like machine learning and operations data science. So like making sure that somebody who has a really, really good understanding of the business can do quote unquote like feature engineering without necessarily needing to have a Python stack. There's actually a lot of companies that are coming out these days that are doing this, like Continual is one that, one that is really, really cool. Um, but their entire mission, and this is something that we've built internally, is to take people who are very good at SQL, very good at, uh, you know, structuring data sets together. It could be honestly somebody who just uses Looker or Alteryx or Excel or, or, or a tool that can sort of aggregate data into a data set. People who understand the business and the data for the business really, really well can do effectively the feature engineering part of data science and then, you know, quickly build propensity models, quickly build classification models, quickly build some of the, even like, even with time series data, quickly build sort of a regression model. That's, I think, the mo one of the most important projects that we've, that, that, have, that has found success for us, where nice. we've gotten the chance to, a lot of folks at the company have stepped up and started using stuff like that, whether that be AutoML. The other one is sort of a, a pseudo-related example, but it's auto-research effectively. So using the same principles to understand the changes between different cohorts. So an, an example of this would be sort of like templatized notebooks or, or, or templates basically where folks can come in and let's say that they're looking at two user groups, right? They're like, all right, here's a user that bought a Peloton bike a couple years ago. Here's a user that bought a Peloton bike more recently. How is their usage pattern different? What what kind what kinds of classes are they enjoying more? Yeah, so we've we've gone we've gone in and we've created sort of like this this methodology to use automatic research, to do automatic research where let's say you're trying to look at the the the, the differences between two cohorts, right? One that bought mm -hmm. a Peloton or a user that joined had their Peloton journey start quite early, whether that be 2016, 2017, or someone who had it who had it start a little bit later. Somebody, somebody who you know joined during the pandemic. What sort of uh, classes are they enjoying? Right, like are they are they taking advantage of some of our newer offerings? Do they you know only take cycling classes? Are they taking meditation classes? It really helps us understand. All right, where should we be developing new class types? What are people enjoying? How do we sort of predict? what type of content folks are going to be relating to and basically give folks at the company a way to define two cohorts or define a test or do an observational study with internal data and understand very, very quickly how two groups of users or, a, you know, a study differs. So yeah. that's, that's, that's been another sort of infrastructure thing that we've implemented that has been very, very, very interesting. It, it just takes data from all of the different data, disparate data sources that we have collects them all into one location and then does a sort of uh, visualization has a visualization element on top of it that other you know will do uh, a bar chart or a histogram or 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 sort of a, a network analysis on 
on on different types of users. So awesome. it gives us a good way of, of figuring out where to sort of build next. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, that sounds very cool. And I'm curious with both the AutoML and automatic research projects, when you've got people across the organization potentially using those, how do you get people to buy into those, to learn how to use them, to feel comfortable with them? How has that process worked for you? Yeah, training is absolutely one of the most important things that you can do, right? Trying to make sure that you set up technologies that folks will inherently use, but also that there is a very, very limited amount of uh, switching cost from what the way that they're currently working on it to using the new system. And I think the best way is we just have a library of internal videos uh, that we use to describe and you know show off what we're building. We have um, an internal channel where when somebody's like building something new, they have, they post about it. They say, hey, like this is this is what I've built. This is sort of where it fits into the larger Peloton ecosystem, whether that be internal or external. And here's sort of a, a brief video going over what it does. And so we do that in a little bit of a longer fashion. Uh, a lot of our sort of onboarding for new employees has a lot of these sorts of videos for, for tooling and a lot of documentation to where when somebody comes in, they can quickly go, I'm trying to use, you know, all tricks, or I'm trying to query something from Redshift. I'm trying to understand our data models. They sort of have a series of videos and documentation that they can use to, to get to that. Nice. Very cool. It sounds like a lot of effort going into creating all of those materials, but also a lot of potential payoff for having people yeah. have immediate access to that. It makes it so you end up letting people answer questions very, very quickly and effectively. And there isn't necessarily a time sink from somebody else who's been at the company longer is perspective, right? right? So they're not... Obviously, we promote working together. We promote a lot of collaboration. But if it's a simple question, we want you to be able to be able to answer it yourself. That's uh, yeah. that's a really, really important part of getting things done quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with, as we were just talking about, the incredible growth and expansion that you were dealing with, too. So <laughs> offloading yeah. some of that onto individuals would be a, a, definitely a help in that process. Cool. Yeah. So I noticed also, uh, looking through your, your resume and records out there, that you were also teaching data science until pretty recently at Columbia. So I'm just curious what that experience was like for you and if that informed your day-to-day -day work at all, had any other impacts on your data science professional endeavors? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't technically a Columbia employer or anything, but Columbia actually um, has a data science boot camp that they offer. Uh, they, wow. they do it with a partnership with the company. And I was a TA for a couple cohorts and then got a privilege of teaching uh, a lot of teaching time last winter. And it's, nice. a, it's a, honestly, for folks who work in the data space, teaching, and for those who have been there longer than I have, you can probably, you know, become, get an adjunct role somewhere, teach different groups of different groups of students at different parts of their career, uh, whatever. Um, it's a great way to sharpen your skills and sort of help excite a new generation of data practitioners on sort of what's coming down the pipeline, right? Like you can, yeah. if you're part of the academic circles or you're involved in, you know, boot camps, they're usually using very, very recent technology. A lot of a lot of folks either would, will read papers or they'll understand, hey, like this is a rising technology that's coming through the pipeline. We should develop our curriculum around it. And so one, one thing that was great was it, it allowed me to learn, honestly, a little bit more about the different types of data stacks that are at different types of organizations, right? So like whether you're working sort of farther upstream, you're working in sort of like the, the, the cache, the Redis world, you're, whether, you're working on the E and L part of ELT rather than just the transformation part and sort of helping, helping students find what interests them within that sort of data stack world 
and saying, oh, like this is the type of job that you might really love, whether that be machine learning engineer or data scientist, right? So people who are more on the analysis and like model development side of things, or whether you, you know, are a data engineer or an analytics engineer or a data analyst or, you know, folks that want to end up doing product or visualization related things. You get to, you know, you do everything from Mongo and unstructured NoSQL databases all the way to like D3 and, yeah. and, and JavaScript implementations, which is really, really fun. It's a great way to sharpen your skills. It's a great way to excite people. It's a great way to like, honestly, share your knowledge. Nice. Yeah, that's great. And it's certainly, I've experienced that as well, that, you know, as soon as you can, what's the saying? Like, if you can teach it, you actually understand it, something like that. And so, yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah, it's really, so, it was really fun was, uh, sorry, uh, was, was yeah, to yeah. get to go back and understand a lot of the math around oh, sort of like yeah. deep learning around around some of the certain um, machine learning uh, algorithms because you learn those in undergrad right like I had a I had a class that where we just had to implement a lot of the very basic machine learning algorithms on paper but then when I started my job and when I started working in it a lot of it's been abstracted <laughs> and you sort of you sort of remember oh my goodness like this is exactly how this works this is like sort of the process there's a you know there's a there's a recursive algorithm somewhere in here that you just run over and over and over again until until you get to the result. And and it's really fun to realize that the next day you have to teach a class on it, go back, read through the textbook that you haven't picked up since undergrad and go, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember exactly how this works and, and show folks that. There's obviously a lot of folks that work in data, right, whether that be on a research team at a big company or whether they're, you know, doing deep tech stuff at, at a very small company um, that you know they work with they work with the, the the fundamental unabstracted layer of it every single day but a lot of times you just don't sort of don't get that when you're right, right. Uh, doing more in the more engineering side of things yeah very cool now it sounds like a neat experience so you mentioned that the boot camp was teaching some of the kind of cutting edge you know stuff that's coming up right now in the field what are some things that you're excited about in the future of data science some things that really you know intrigue you that you would like to explore further yeah, I think the biggest the biggest benefits that we see and, and sort of like my thesis on where this is going to go is we're going to end up abstracting, I think, a lot of the development and deployment aspects of the more computer science elements of data science into disparate, disparate sort of tooling, right? So you see this with the rise of things like Kubeflow. There's a lot of open source projects that are designed to sort of take the development that data scientists do and then either like you know interpolate the code and create like microservices out of it to where you can actually use it in development where i, I know i think altrix actually has a, a pretty cool a pretty cool set of tools where you can you know run workflows that are around data science or machine learning and sort of abstracting a lot of the work that data scientists do because a data scientist fundamentally just isn't an operational engineer a lot sure. of the time where yeah. when you hire a data scientist, you want to make sure that you're hiring someone who understands, you know, feature engineering, who understands hyperparameter tuning. You want to under find somebody who has a fundamental knowledge of all of the different types of algorithms and what to use for a specific type of question. What you don't necessarily always find is somebody who understands how to deploy that somewhere, right? And so there's there's obviously the rise of, you know, ML ops folks, but I think especially for those younger teams, having tooling that will help you deploy and use some of that modeling work that you're doing for research purposes in production is going to be a really, really important, uh, important thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. 
So I have one question that I always ask to our guests, and this is what we call the alternative hypothesis segment of the show. And the question is, what is something that people often think is true about data science or about being a data scientist, but that you and your experience have found to be incorrect? I think the biggest, I think the biggest fundamental thing that most of my students actually, when, when I was teaching, learned is that a lot after they graduated from the boot camp and they you know, went on and started their careers in data science or they took their careers in you know, one part of their company and moved it over to being more data-driven is one of the most important things that an organization can do is develop a really, really, really solid BI layer that I don't, I think that most data scientists come in and they say, oh, I'm going to be doing a ton of, you know, deep development, right? You're going to find a problem, you're going to develop a machine learning model for it, and you're going to A, like, like you know, set it, and it's going to solve all of the problems that you've ever seen. <laughs> a, that's not really how it works. You, you have to go oh. back a lot of the time. You have to make sure that you're, you're, you're retraining your models. You're looking at a lot of the fundamental assumptions that you were building off of. And a lot of the work that you're going to end up doing, at least when you start, is going to be a lot of solving and answering really low-hanging fruit problems. And I think the biggest thing that I hear from data scientists that have worked, you know, for a couple of years now is I really wish I could get away from, you know, having to, you know, write really, really simple queries. I, I really wish I could get away from, you know, doing some of the more sort of like lower hanging fruit sort of work so I can, you know, focus on making a bigger impact. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to, to build a really, really solid BI foundation, making it so business users at your company can go in and, and say, all right, I have the necessary tooling uh, to be able to answer this question. I know where to go to answer this question. I know where the data lives. I'm able to sort of figure out all of the all of the different types of scenarios that could sort of uh, push this in one direction or another. And yeah, I think I think a, a solid BI layer and building automations is really, really important for that, right? Woohoo, all tricks. Um, just like the ATM, right? Revolutionized getting money and sort of like left bankers time to do more important things. I, I think that you can sort of view an automation and, and, and business intelligence layer as a way to sort of understand uh, bigger picture things around a company, especially when you're small, right? Because like a data scientist at a young company is going to be doing a lot, a lot of wearing every type of hat, right? I, I, that's something that you probably hear all the time where, you know, I'm, I'm a data scientist somewhere small. I wear a lot of hats. I do everything from sure. the E and L side of ETL all the way to like deploying like deep learning models in the cloud that we're going to use on our app side. And 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 I think the biggest way to be able to, you know, fundamentally move move forward as a data org is to make sure that like the first thing that you're taking care of is having a really really solid analytics uh analytics layer to build off of. Hmm. What do you think are some of the barriers or challenges to making that happen? I think one of the biggest ones is just is just stack knowledge, right? Like I think like a lot of what ends up happening is you you know you you know join a job, you're focused on building out a very very specific like set of set of tooling, or you're focused on solving a very very specific set of problems, and then you move somewhere else where you're doing a lot of the same sort of stuff, and there isn't. I think parochialism is, is sort of like the enemy of collaboration, right? Where right. what ends up happening is we have either a lot of experts in a specific thing that don't necessarily always talk to each other, or we don't have someone who understands at least a small element of all of the different types of decision that decisions that a business has to make to where they can sure. connect all of the data together behind the scenes and and make a really intuitive layer to to help people understand that. Yeah, great points. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you would like to get in there? Yeah, I, I think for anyone who's for anyone who's listening, I'd love to 
pub that if you're interested in chatting, one of the things that I love the most is helping folks who are building, you know, new data products who are thinking about the, the data paradigm in a completely different way. So I mean, honestly, an open shout to all of your listeners is if you're building something interesting, if there's something that we can chat about where you have an idea, you know, we, we love meeting entrepreneurs that are building interesting mm-hmm. things so we can onboard their products at Peloton. I love, you know, just geeking out over different ideas. And so if you're, you know, out there and listening and you're like, oh, I have, I'm working on something, or I think that this paradigm that we're, we use in the data world is wrong and that we should you know, change it to be something else. Those types of people are always like the most interesting to talk to. So feel free to like, you know, hit me up. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. I know people will appreciate that opportunity. Very cool. Well, Ibby, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I really appreciate it. And I know that folks are going to have a lot of interest in the things that you've talked about. And it'll give them a little more insight into their Peloton experience too, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to our Data Science Mixer Chat with Ibi Syed. Join us on the Alteryx community for this week's cocktail conversation to share your thoughts. Thinking about Ibi's experience in teaching, if you've had the opportunity to guest lecture a group of budding data scientists on just one topic, something you think everyone getting into the field should know and understand, what would that topic be? Why do you think that's so important? Share your thoughts and ideas by leaving a comment directly on the episode page at community.alterix.com slash podcast, or post on social media with the hashtag data science mixer and tag Alterix. Cheers. So one thing that I forgot because we were talking about the record button (laughs) is I forgot at the very beginning to ask a very important question, which is that on Data Science Mixer, we typically have some sort of snack or drink or something with us while we're recording. So do you have anything special there with you today? I have a water. <laughs> so I could, you know, <laughs> stay. It's a popular choice. Yeah. Stay, yeah. <laughs> well, you got to be ready for all that cycling. So, you know. I exactly. Right. I, I feel like I've been trying to get, trying to like be more healthy, trying to like low down the sugar drinks. However, my usual go-tos are like mango juice during the day mm-hmm. or or like a yogurt drink. Uh, I just had a quinoa salad right before I joined oh, right before I joined nice. the call. That was like sort of my lunch, which was which was really, really delicious. Yeah. No, today today's just boring. Like no interesting drinks today. I, I, I know that I know that I knew that you were gonna answer this question and I knew that I should bring something up and then it went to my fridge and there were two options. One was milk and the other one was water. And <laughs> I was it's like, you know, you know, I'm just going to go with the simple water because if, I, if somebody yeah. asks me what interesting thing I'm drinking and I say milk, I'm going to get judged, I think. And <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not I'm not like super worried about getting judged, but I am a little worried about getting judged. Gotcha. No, no judgment here. And water makes a lot of sense. It's been a very popular choice lately, actually. You know, people are apparently actually trying to work during the workday. So, you know, we do these podcast recordings and they're not imbibing. Ugh. I mean, really. Uh, what? Uh, How? Yeah. Why? Why, are the, why am I not vibing? It's a Friday. Why am I not <laughs> That's vibing? true. That's true. And it's no, a little later right. over there. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I, I just have some good old black coffee here, some nice French roast. So much Ooh, needed to get me through. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Where do you, where do you, do you like, do you hang, do you like grind your coffee yourself and do all the entire process or? No, as a, somebody who lives in Oregon, I have a really unsatisfactory answer to that question, which is I buy pre-ground. <laughs> French roast at the grocery I store. <laughs> I do too. Trader Joe's yeah. Trader Joe's French roast is like one of my yeah. favorite one of my it's favorite good stuff. coffees. So for sure. Yeah, for sure. Good.